Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. All right, guys, welcome back for another episode. Sorry for no episode these past few days. Um, I, I don't know. I just, this has been just a really busy summer. We had some stuff going on. But we're back now, and all I'm just itching to do an episode. So, you know, I've been busy, but I'm not, you know, bailing on you guys in any way. I'm not like, you know, I'm getting bored with this podcasting thing. Believe me, I want, I really want to do it. It's just been, I've been, I had a very busy schedule this summer. But anyway, in today's episode, we'll be discussing the Red Sox series versus the Yankees, 3-1. and one. But I want a little more. We'll get to that first. And then I made a team in the NFL using today's cap, where I created the best 53-man roster possible while staying under the cap. Uh, Also, one more thing I just want to point out, fantasy football is coming up, and a lot of you might be wondering, do you do fantasy football? I do. Uh, I'm really into fantasy football. So, yeah, we'll have some, you know, I'll I'll, I'll start talking about it uh, very soon. The football season coming up, more football content coming out, and fantasy football definitely be on the agenda. Uh, Some of my boss sleepers, all that type of stuff, some of my tips, uh, those will definitely be coming out soon. But for today, Red Sox and my uh, 53-man roster staying under the cap. So first, we're going to talk about the Red Sox past four games, so let's get to that. Okay, so the Red Sox went into this Yankees series in a bit of an interesting spot. It was must-win baseball. We had that Orioles series that most of you seem to forget already because this past week's been good. But remember that Orioles series where they dropped two or three, and most people said that felt like the season ender. And then they came back against the Rays and won two of three and played very good baseball. I mean, they almost blew that second game, but they didn't. Uh, If you remember, now they won two of three. They played well against the Tampa Bay Rays. Chris Sale had pitched well in his last two games, but this was really a huge series against the New York Yankees. And I said, the Red Sox are not at a turning point because, and I don't think I'm wrong to say that still, because the evidence was there that they can't consistently do it. I'm, I'm still not sold they, they're at a turning point, even after this week, uh, just because they can't con- keep consistently doing it, and they haven't. I do I do believe that there's a good chance they can turn on the gears, uh, but that race series, they walk into the Yankees. This is a big, big series against the Yankees, right? 3-19, they win the first game. Then they win 5-10. to 10. Then they win 9-5. to 5. Then they lose 9-6. to 6. So we took 3-4. of four. But I want to talk about those first three games. The bats were hot. Okay, we scored 38 runs against the New York Yankees. That was, I think, the most runs they had allowed in a four-game series ever. In only the first three games. I think that was the stat. Um, and that's that's shy, just shy of 13 runs a game. Now, given I want to point out the fact that that Yankees pitching struggled. Okay, that the competition you were uh, facing definitely helped. I don't think your bats deserve the 38 runs, but don't get me wrong, they, you guys were great. 21 doubles, 21 doubles in three games is absolutely insane. That, that's insane. That is, uh, that's incredible. 21 doubles, 38 runs, and three games against the Yankees. This Yankees team, given, again, the pitching on that Yankees team has been their low spot. Their bullpen is amazing. They're, they are hurt right now, but their bats are still good. I think they're a solid team in the field. Their starting pitching is, is where they need help. But 
that that was not good at all for the Yankees. But still, the Red Sox bats got hot, and people really, really started buying into this Red Sox turning around thing. And last night, Sunday night baseball was a huge game. Okay, the Red Sox seemed to be at a turning point. So does Chris Sale. Okay, so you're walking into the game. You have a chance to sweep the Yankees and actually start talking about potentially beating out the Yankees for the division. I mean, that, that was in the talks. That was, And I didn't believe it. I thought if they beat the Yankees yesterday, that's great. And there's a chance. There's always a chance. But even if they beat the Yankees yesterday, I wasn't buying the Red Sox winning, come back and winning the series. I just wasn't. I just think there's too much of a gap. And the Yankees are still too good, even if they drop that whole series. But with that being said, that would have been great if you could have got the sweep. That would have been amazing. But you didn't. Okay, especially because you need the momentum, first of all. And second of all, you've got the Rays and Yankees coming up then again. You're going to need momentum down the stretch. This isn't over. We're only halfway through the, the, this must-win stretch here. And so far against the Rays and Yankees, uh, what's your record? Quickly, 5-2 and two in these last seven? That's, that's fantastic. 5-2 and two is fantastic. But the bad news, I have to tell you guys, is you got, set what, seven more games left? Yeah. Seven more games left in the stretch. And then you get the Royals on August the 5th. You still got half the stretch left. I mean, this was a 14-game stretch we looked at. You're 5-2 and two in the seven games. That's that's awesome. But when I look at this Red Sox team, this week was really good. Okay, it was. I can't say great. I'll tell you why in a minute. But it was good. Okay. Chris Sale started the week, and he had that start. I was like, all right, two starts in a row where Chris Sale... You know, he might be on the turning point. He might be. He started to really criticize himself in the media. Maybe he's at the turning point. And the team was doing really good. The bats had been solid all year. I don't think they were, you know, top three in the league or, you know, anything like that. But they were solid all year. They really cranked things up in these this week. Especially in this Yankee series. I mean, they had nine, they had nine to start the week. Then they had five, then they had two. So it wasn't like they really cranked it up to full full gear at the beginning of the week. But this Yankees series, like they the bats were the bats were good. And then like last night, they still scored six runs. Six runs is still a good amount. Don't get me wrong here. Like we we all sit here and say, like, oh, those first three games, what happened that fourth game? The bats were still good last night. The bats were good. It was the it was Chris Sale. And then some errors in the field. We'll get to the game in a minute. But this past week had been a success. Last night, to cap it off, go 6-1, and one, sweep the Yankees. Chris Sale, another good start. Like, if Chris Sale has a good start last night, that would have been great. Because we were all advertising the fact that this Red Sox team was on a turnaround and that Chris Sale was on a turnaround as well. Okay, now you're on Sunday Night Baseball against, you know, it's the biggest rivalry in the MLB on Sunday Night Baseball, televised. All these other MLB fans are like, all right, I haven't really watched, you know, Red Sox baseball this past week, but now that it's on ESPN, you know what? And they're facing the Yankees. It's time to, you know, see what they've got. And Chris Sale just goes out there, craps his pants. I'll tell you the stat line. Uh... I'll tell you right now, it wasn't good. Five and a th- uh, third innings, five hits, six earned runs, three walks, seven strikeouts. Now, when I look at that stat line, I don't want to puke, but it makes me pretty agitated, aggravated, whatever. 
five and a third innings, you know, I, I, more, I more look for, you know, five to six in a starter on average. So that's not horrible. But the five hits, five hits in five and a third innings isn't horrible. It's nothing out, uh, outstanding, but it's nothing horrible. But then you add on three walks, the fact that two of those hits were home runs. That's where I say, all right, you know, if those hits are, you know, singles, no. Those hits weren't, no. None of them, no. You had the Austin Romine home run. You had the Didi Gregorius home run. You had the Gio Urshela double. And then I think the other three were all singles. But nonetheless, I mean, still, if you let up, uh, what? If you let up five hit, I mean, not the other three. The other two were singles. If you let up five hits in five and a third innings, I'm not sitting there puking. I'm like, you could have done a little better, but that's not bad. But when you tell me two home runs, a double, and two, uh, two singles... Then I kind of sit there and say, all right, we got a problem. Plus three walks. I mean, seven strikeouts. But that the strikeouts don't matter when you let up all those runs. It just doesn't in my eyes. Strikeouts, like, I like strikeouts, but I think they are a bit overrated. Especially when you look at this. Like, seven strikeouts in five and a third innings. If he pitches five and a third innings, that means 16 outs. He struck out for almost half the outs. Seven of the 16 outs were strikeouts. But he still went out there and let up six earned runs. So that's the problem with Chris Sale. I like, especially my thing with Chris Sale too is, what is up with the bottom of the order? Is that where does he just ease off there? Like when I look at it, look, look what you know, Austin Romine. You know he's a solid. You know catchers don't usually hit right. I think his average was around like two sixty six on the year, something like that. It was like two sixty six, two sixty two. I believe was his average the last time I checked yesterday during the game. You know, he's hitting dongs. Cameron Mabin had himself a day, uh, stole home on the um, wild pitch, and he got a few hits. Gio Urshela, uh, given Gio Urshela was hitting seventh, but that's one where I sit here and say he's hitting 300, having a good year. One of the best Yankees this season. I mean, they've been hit with the injury bug, but... So that one, that one's debatable with Gio Urshela hitting seven, but still he's at the bottom of the lineup. In a Glaber Torres, he scored a run, but he didn't get any hits. Didi Gregorius had the two-run shot and the walk. So I, I mean, he mowed down the the top the top four really. Hicks was had two walks on three at bats. So, you know, it's not like he was getting hit. He was just going up there and walking. I don't know what they count that. Aaron Judge was 0 for 5. Edwin Encarnacion, 5 at-bats, 2 hits. All right, he, you know, that's that's not the best. You know, when I look at this, that's that's still solid. Not the best on the team, but one of them. And then Luke Voigt went 0 for 3 with 2 walks. So, it's not like they were hitting. They were just getting walked at the top. But just in general, I don't even have to say last night's game. Chris Sale... In general, it's like he eases off a bit. You know, he goes easy on the the you know the bottom four, you know bottom four, bottom five, even bottom three. It just you know somewhere at the bottom. If you're hitting in the nine hole, you should feel pretty good, especially the second round of things. The first, don't get don't get me wrong. Excuse me, don't get me wrong here. Is Chris Sale you know mow down the first you know nine batters? No. Not every time, but usually he'll do salt against the first nine batters and then just crap his pants in the second round. It's like round two. He's just, you know, 
gives up, especially just the bottom of the order. Like, listen, I understand at the beginning of the year, if you want to, you know, lay off a bit on that bottom of the order and it might cost you a few runs here and there, maybe a game or two, which, you know, can all be all the difference. But at the beginning of the year, it's not a bad strategy, especially if you're Chris Sale, someone who struggles this time of year, seems like, you know, you got that shoulder problem. You should probably ease off a bit. That's fine. But this time of year, if he's still doing, you can't use that strategy. The last time I checked, you weren't in the wild card. You were in the race, but you're not in the wild card position. So when you're 59-48 and outside the playoffs, and it's Sunday night baseball and one of the bigger games of the season for your team and yourself, you can't ease off like that. You just can't. That, that I can understand that, you know, in those April games against the Blue Jays, but this is, we are just about in August now. That was one of the biggest games of the season for you and your team, and your team's outside the playoffs. So you, you, if that's what was going on, I, I sure hope it wasn't, because if that's what's going on, then, I don't know. I, you got to change the strategy, I guess. I don't know what to say other than that. But this Red Sox team, really, that was a good week. But, you know, I was just left you know, wanting just a little more, you know? I was left just with that little, you know, that sour taste in my mouth. Just a little bit. Like, it was good, but yesterday's game, you know, really, if you win yesterday's game, go 6-1. I, You know, I really don't have any bitterness, sourness, whatever you want to say, towards your team in this week. Don't get me wrong here. I feel good about the how the week went. You know, if I was to compare how I feel this week, you know, right at this moment, this Monday right now, compared to last week, I feel much better today than I did last week about this Red Sox team. But still, I just, that, that game yesterday, don't get me wrong, it was a good week, but I just sit there saying, ooh, I just wanted that little more. You know, that just, that you get that win yesterday, maybe Chris Sale just pitches a little better, you can go out and get that win. That would have been great. That just that that would have that would have you know that little more I want that would have taken all of that away. And then you had the errors. I mean, your team made some errors. Alexander Bogarts at shortstop. Don't act like I didn't didn't miss that one. Especially coming from Bogarts. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's not the easiest play in the book, but that that's a pretty routine play. He had to move a little bit for it. He just didn't get his glove down. It just looked like a little bit lazy for Alexander Bogarts. Which I'll give him a free pass for. I mean, I know it's a big game, but he he's so consistent over there. That was just a bit shocking. And I got to give free passes here. You know, I, I'm here to criticize these guys. But in reality, you know, they're they're still humans. And they get, they're going to make mistakes. And Xander Bogarts is someone who owns up to his mistakes. He's had a great season. And it's not like he consistently makes those. I know, you know, he's going to tell himself, you know what? He's going to own up to it. I'll give him a free pass. It's not like he does it all the time. He's a good guy. He owns up to his mistakes. I give these guys free passes. And then you have the Jackie Bradley Jr. one where he makes the catch. It was a bit of a weird catch. It was like that one in Little League where where you'll see the guy in the outfield kind of – it wasn't necessarily because he's running in on it. But sometimes when they – instead of, you know, putting the glove over their head just like normally, they'll like underhand the ball kind of. They'll, they'll hold it out like, you know, they got a pizza in their hand and they'll catch the ball. It's kind of hard to explain. But 
he made that type of catch, and then all of a sudden he kind of just holds the ball for a second, could have doubled up Luke Voigt at first base, and instead he makes like a no, a, from my angle on the TV, it looks like he made a no-look Patrick Mahomes, you know, throw. Like he was trying to fake Luke Voigt out, like, oh, I don't see you, and then try to sauce it over to th- first base. You don't have to do that. You don't have to fake him out because Luke Voigt's already halfway to second base. You don't have to fake him out. Just throw the ball over to first, he's out. There's no fake needed. There's no no look pass needed. None of that was needed. Luke Voigt was gone by a mile, and instead he lo- he just makes this Patrick Mahomes no look pass goes way past the first baseman, and just as he jack you know that look on Jackie Bradley Jr.'s face kind of said it all. It was just kind of you know like what did I just do like ooh, but then again, what what can I say? There's nothing we can do about it now. I'll give JBJ a free pass as well because he's one of those guys who not necessarily owns up to it like Xander, but it's not like he makes an excuse either, and he's pretty consistent out there as well. And then Marcus Walden in the eighth inning. Cameron Mabin was creeping down the third baseline, kind of got Walden out of his rhythm, and then Walden just Wild pitch. That that was the point where the game was pretty much over at that point, it felt. And then that was kind of just the cherry on top for the Yankees. Cameron Mabin scoring on that. Walden, Walden just got in Walden's head. Walden was a bit off rhythm, off beat. Mabin scored. It was good base running by Mabin to get in his head. Especially a guy like Walden, who, you know, he may be like 29 years old, but he's no veteran. He's actually a rookie. I think he is. He's been in the minors for a while now. At least I think he might have played a few years ago. But nonetheless, he's no veteran. So he really got in his head there. It was good base running. But still, that was the point. That was the cherry on top for the Yankees last night. And that was a big game. So they, they left me wanting just a little more, if you get what I'm trying to say. And this is a big stretch coming up. You needed that win just for the momentum aspect of things as well. You, you go 6-1, and one, you carry out that success if you win last night. Your team is feeling really, really good. And the one last thing I want to get to, Edwin Diaz. The possibility of getting Edwin Diaz uh, through trade. Uh, he's on the Mets. Now, I personally love it. Uh, I know the Dodgers are still in play to land Edwin Diaz. You know, they could possibly get him, but the Red Sox have reportedly discussed trades with the Mets, and apparently Andy, Bo- I mean Bobby, I don't know where I got Andy from. Don't don't ask. Bobby Dahlbeck, minor league slugger, who's blocked at third base by younger Raphael Devers. So younger, Buster only is reporting this. Listen, if there's one thing I don't do well with, it's MLB prospects. It just doesn't pique my interest. Now I know if I'm, you know, if I'm an MLB guy, I know MLB is not exactly my strong suit, like you could say, like the MLB, NBA or NFL is. But I still know enough about MLB to sit here and talk about it. Mostly the Red Sox. For the, so the prospects just don't pique my interest. Now I'm a guy who like likes farm systems, prospects, like developing players. I'm all for that. But in baseball, something it's just too much for me. You got single A, double A, triple A. I can't keep up with it. In the draft, the just the amount of rounds, I just can't do it. I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm just not into it. It, it I just so I don't know much about Bobby Delbeck. I don't. All I know is he's a very valuable prospect. I've heard of him before. I don't know why I said. What did I say? Um, Andy? Whatever I said. It is because one of the tweets uh, next to Buster Only's tweet is Andy Martino. But 
who uh, reported Dodgers still in play for Edwin Diaz. But with that being said, I would love getting Edwin Diaz. Now, if I have to give up Bobby Dahlbeck, I'm fine with that because I'll, the one thing I do know about the Red Sox prospects is we have a ton of guys at third base. Not to mention we already have Rafael Devers, who I love. Love Rafael Devers. I think he's improved his fielding, and his bat has been one of the best in baseball this year. And If he can continue that throughout his career, you know, you've got your future third baseman already. Not, not to mind you got that other you got a few other guys down there along with excuse me, Bobby Delbeck. I know you don't have many other prospects outside of third base, but you got plenty of third basemen. I'm all right with giving up one for this guy. Edwin Diaz, please. I love Edwin Diaz. The guy just throws bullets. He throws absolute bullets. I know in Seattle, last uh, two, last season, not this season, last season, he was an all-star. He went 0-4 in Seattle and was still an all-star because, you know, he's that just shows like how bad Seattle is. He's still good. Uh he was able to play 73 games with the Mariners last season. He went 0-4, but he still only had a 1.96 ERA, pitched 73 games for a total of 73.1 innings, which is absolutely incredible. If I could get that out of a closer, please. So, you know, it's clear that he's a closer. I mean, 73 games, 73.1 innings. You know, he's more of just a one-inning guy, which is what I'm looking for in a closer. But he's able to pitch 73 games, please. That That's awesome. Uh, 17 walks and 73 innings is definitely solid. 124 strikeouts. The guy can. The guy. Not only does he have a you know a little BB gun for an uh for an arm. I mean the guy. The guy can get the K too. 16 earned runs over 73 innings. I mean that's the ERA. I already told you it's great. 41 hits over those 73 uh innings. So it's clear the 0-4 record. You gotta look at the stats to back it up. That's one of those times where win loss just doesn't really matter that much. It, it does matter, obviously, but I can't sit here and really look at it. And he had fifty-seven saves that that season, so he was zero and four and had sixty-seven saves, uh, fifty-seven saves, which was the league lead, I do believe. And he sixty-five games finished, so he pitched seventy-three point one innings. Uh, 73 games and didn't only didn't finish eight of them. So, you know, it's clear probably in those eight, three or four losses there. But still, the whip too was 0.791. That's incredible. This season with the Mets, he is one and six with a 4.95 ERA, a 44, 44 games, only finished 35. So he's already only finished uh, less, less like on a rate, rate, if you get what I'm saying. He only. Didn't finish eight last season. It's already, you know, not finished nine, if you get what I'm saying. He has 23 saves, which isn't horrible. I take that for the Red Sox. 40 innings pitched, so he's probably not going to hit that 73 mark. You know, who knows, but I, I don't I don't really see that happening. 13 walks, a little more on average than he did last season. Um, and then the ERA of 4.95. And then the whip is 1.450. Which isn't isn't you know that that tremendous, uh. So you know that that one's not too tremendous. But the thing is with Edwin Diaz, I am perfectly fine with him struggling this year. And listen, I don't want to blame it all on the Mets because I don't want to say, oh, he's on the Mets now. All of a sudden, he can't throw. Obviously, it's not that he can't throw, but he struggled. I'm not just gonna say because he's on the Mets, he struggled. Do I think that's a part of it? Sure, sure. I I think you know the Mets. You know, New York just seems like one of the worst places you can be. Especially the Mets, please. That that place is just a dumpster fire right now. They just got that cool, 
questionable, very questionable Marcus Stroman trade. So I wonder, they've won their last four games. So the Mets just believe now all of a sudden they're contenders and they're not going to give up Enwood Diaz. Now, I don't believe that because we've heard the reports that, you know, the Dodgers, the Red Sox still in play to get this guy. And I'd love to get Enwood Diaz. I would just love it. I feel like, I, you know, I think he's going to pitch better than you know, the stat line shows this season if he comes to Boston. I just think it's it's been a bit of an off year for Edwin Diaz. I think the Met, being in New York has something to do with that. I don't think we can blame it all on being with the Mets, but I think that does play a factor just because it's, it's New York with the Mets. I, that's pretty self-explanatory. Just players don't do very well there. But at the same time, I am a bit concerned about the stat line as well. I do – would I rather have him being – you know, pitching the way he did last season with the Mariners or be pitching the way he's pitched with the Mets. To be honest, pitch the way he's done with the Mets because if he pitched the way he did in Seattle, he's under contract for the next three years and he's only 25 years old, just turned 25 a few months back. If he's pitching the way he did in Seattle, the Mets would probably want to keep him. And even if they want to sell him, the price would be way higher. So now all of a sudden with him struggling, his price is way lower. His price is way... Don't get me wrong, we're still going to have to give up a lot, but I love Edwin Diaz because also he's not a rental. I'm not a huge fan of rental, guys. He's under contract for the next three years. He's only 25 years old. So he's someone that's going to help you win now and later. That's what I love. And listen, I'm not... I don't want to go all in on this. Well, I want to go all in on this Red Sox team just because the talent's there. But at the same time, I'm just a bit timid just because I feel like, you know... I don't know why I'm a bit timid, but you should go all in with this team. But... Not only will Edwin Diaz help you win now, he'll help you win, you know, two years from now, three years from now. I mean, I hope he can turn it around because I don't want to give up this Bobby Dahlbeck guy, even if we have a lot of third base prospects and just get what he's done with the Mets. I mean, what he's done with the Mets has been pretty ugly, to be honest. He hasn't had a very good year, but you still see the potential with the arm, what he did last season. I, I think he could definitely turn things around. I, listen, I'm not sure he could come in right away and be what he was in Seattle last season, but I think he could at least improve from what he's done with the Mets. And at this point, I mean, even if he's just, you know, three-fourths of what he was with Seattle, it's still better than what you have right now. I mean, you have nothing in that bullpen. If you could get, you know, if he's a, a fringe all-star, like a solid closer – I'll take that because, honestly, the guy can pitch a lot, which you need because you don't have an out second option. If Edwin Diaz can't pitch one day, well, then good luck because I don't know who else is going to close out that game. If it's a close game and Edwin Diaz, his arm's hurting, I don't know. But the, that probably won't happen. I mean, if he can just avoid injury, he should be good. He seems like a pretty durable pitcher as well. So I just love what you're getting. I love the, you know how many years you're getting of him. I love that he probably hasn't even hit his prime yet, or at least I hope not. So I just love what's there with Edwin Diaz. I'm all right with giving up Bobby Dahlbeck. I just think, you know, the stars are in place. I, I definitely pulled the trigger on Edwin Diaz. I think most people side with me on that one. But, yeah, Colin, what do you guys think on the, about the Red Sox? Uh, see, again, I just want a little more. You know, I like it, but I want a little more. Uh, so, Colin, on anything's on the table, uh, you can listen to what I'm about to say, uh, my 53-man roster. In the NFL, you can call in about that, about the Red Sox, anything. Anything sports-related, you can call in, again, on the Anchor mobile app, type in after the other sports talk, send in a voice message, or call in through Safari. Uh, Aiden Mayer, uh, after the other sports talk by Aiden Mayer on Safari. So now we are going to get to 
my 53-man roster while staying under the cap. So basically, I created the best 53-man roster possible while staying under the cap. So let's get to that. Sorry for the awkward transition. One of the things I'm working on is those uh, transitions. But anyway, basically, I use this website called SportTac. Um, it's basically, I, I'm guessing it's a sports website because it has sports material, sport tax kind of in the name. Yeah, you guys can try it out and you can basically make any team you want. There's one for the NBA, but it still says like Kyrie's on the Cavs. So it obviously hasn't been updated in a little bit. I do think the MLB one's updated. I tried that one out. Didn't really get too far into it, but I was just mostly focused on this NFL one. The NFL one is updated. So basically, you can build this 53-man roster. It does give you salary cap. So you can, if you if you're just saying, Aiden, I just want to make a 53-man roster the best roster possible. Okay, go for it. I mean, if that's what you want to do, go for it. But they do have salary if you want to challenge yourself to stay under the salary cap. And that's what I did. I didn't sit here and just say I made a dream team. Maybe that'll be in the future. But today, I want to stay under the cap. Okay, so. Uh, a few of these players, I will warn you, were worth $0, which basically means they probably haven't signed an official contract yet. So I only did a few of those. I, You know, I you're probably saying, Aiden, that's really stupid because I came just under the cap. So you're probably saying, Aiden, if those players signed to a contract, you go over the cap. And I'm going to say, yes, but I would have adjusted the roster. And it probably would have been a little worse, but no big difference, really. I took advantage of it, to be honest, but I tried to limit it. I think it's like six, you know, five or six players on here. No one really too important. You you get the point. I mean, they're all backup players anyway, so they probably would have been really cheap anyway. But at first, I'm going to tell you the price of all these players as well. First, I got quarterback. I got Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, and Josh Dobbs. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was worth $4 mil. $4,479,776. Dak Prescott, $2,120,849. And Josh Dobbs, $784,781. So, four young, cheap quarter, uh, three, three young, cheap quarterbacks. Back in my quarterback rankings, if you haven't heard that already, uh, go listen to that. I'll spoil the number one. So if you don't want to hear my number one, pause the video right now. If you haven't listened to that, you're like, oh, a video, podcast. If you're like, oh, I didn't listen to that, I'm going to go listen to that right now. I'm about to reveal my number one. So if you don't want any spoilers, pause it right now, go to that episode, and then come back. I don't care what you do. But if you already heard it or you really don't care, Patrick Mahomes was my best quarterback of all uh, – not of all time <laughs> – in the league. It's very debatable. But he was my best one. I feel like Patrick Mahomes is someone proven, you know, he can lead a team to a Super Bowl. Has he done it? No. But I see the, you know, not only is the talent there, but I see he's got the guts. You know, maybe if they if the Chiefs get the ball in overtime, they could possibly go to the Super Bowl one. I mean, he had done a good job. The Patriots shut him down that first half, and he came back, did very, very well. And against the Patriots, against Bill Belichick, and he came back. I mean, he just has those, you know, attributes of just a winning quarterback. He just won MVP. Listen, I don't think he's going to do 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards this upcoming season, maybe ever again, maybe once more in his career. But not only do I think he's the best quarterback in the league and quarterback's the most important position, he came at less than $5 million. That's, that's fantastic. Then I got Dak Prescott as a backup. 
Personally, I, I'm just not too concerned with injuries with Patrick Mahomes. And now my my concern would be, can Dak Prescott really lead a team to a Super Bowl? But when I look at it, Dak Prescott is you know going to have great weapons on this team, a fantastic defense to back him up. Yes, I'm going to say it. This team would go down in history, probably is the best team ever. Uh, when you'll you'll hear the whole thing, it's pretty loaded. Uh, but. Just Dak Prescott, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, he could lead any average team to the Super Bowl. Maybe the Patriots, uh, if he was, you know, at a ceiling, you know, because just Bill Belichick, the Patriots system, that whole thing, maybe like a Patriots-type team. I'm just not sure. Maybe Dak Prescott one day will lead the Cowboys to a Super Bowl. I'm, not, I'm just not really sure. But I, I don't think it would, be, it would be a huge problem in this system. He's just going to have a ton of weapons, great defense to back him up. So really, I, you know, that's something I'm not too concerned with. And then third, Josh Dobbs. Really just someone to fill in that third uh, quarterback spot. Just someone really cheap. And, you know, the odds of the third quarterback playing are very rare unless it's some, you know, end-of-the-game situation that doesn't really matter, you know, like Week 17 or maybe that's that whole Week 17 game. So I just show someone cheap that's actually a solid third-string quarterback. I think Josh Dobbs is. Whatever. Then at running back, I got Saquon Barkley, James Conner, and Darren Sproles. Only three running backs. Uh, Saquon Barkley's worth $7 million. $89,716. James Connors worth $8,844,572. And Darren Sproles is worth zero. I know he signed a contract, but for some reason, either it's not official or Sportac, you know, something's going on with that. But I decided to take advantage of it and throw him in as the third stringer. Uh, running with three running backs is a. But a no, no pun intended there. Running with three running backs is a bit risky. I want to add a fourth. I'd say if there's somewhere where, you know, on this list, I probably would want to add a bit more depth. This is one of the positions. I probably want to add a fourth guy, especially because Darren Sproles is uh, injury prone. James Conner in that first season did get hurt, I think, around week 13. Saquon Barkley hasn't. Uh, but still, you know, you, you're just never too sure with any of these guys, especially at running back. And I just feel like Saquon Barkley's like an every down back. So, you know, I think I don't want Saquon Barkley playing every down, to be honest, on this team, especially with James Conner as the backup. I want to utilize James Conner, save Saquon Barkley uh, for, you know, maybe the playoffs or something. So that's a great two back set. And the Darren Sproles is really the veteran here. James Conner and Saquon Barkley are two players go only going into their second season. So I feel like Darren Sproles could not only be just a injury prone, yes, but he's going to be someone who plays very, li very, very limited snaps, but he could be a good mentor for these guys, I feel like as well, because they may not play the same exact style, but he, you know, he's a veteran in the league. He, he's going to come back for this season. And again, don't get me wrong. I want another running back really bad in this core, just because I feel like three, you know, you got to have at least four, but I did what I did. That's one of the changes I could make. Probably another running back, especially because Sproles, you know, some of these guys have some injury problems. But again, a lot of rookie deals you're going to see here. Like all the, a lot of these guys are just on cheap rookie deals. That That's just kind of how I rolled. Then I got a fullback, James Devlin. I threw James Devlin in there at $1,600,000 uh, on the Patriots. Listen, is James Devlin the best fullback in the game? I don't know. 
Uh, you know, I think the Patriots system definitely helps them thrive because a lot of teams don't really do anything with their uh, fullback. And not saying the Patriots do a whole lot with James Devlin, but they have James Devlin line up at wide receiver here and there. Uh, they'll have James Devlin punching at the goal line. So who knows in this new system if James Devlin will really be utilized because of all the weapons they have or if we'll even need a fullback, I will say. I didn't really want to put a fullback on here, but I just wanted to carry one just to fill up the position and just because on this 53-man roster, I kind of wanted to include every position. So a bit pricey for a fullback who's probably not even really going to do much, but I decided to throw James Devlin on there especially as a Patriots fan. Then at wide receiver, one of the more loaded positions here. I have DeAndre Hopkins, Adam Thielen, Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Thomas, and Kenny Galladay. That is absolutely loaded. DeAndre Hopkins is worth $14 million, definitely the pricey one of the bunch. I just think DeAndre Hopkins is the best wide receiver in the league. He can thrive with any you know, quarterback. He's gone through a ton of different systems. So I'm not saying, you know, oh, having Patrick Mahomes, that's a real tough one. No, obviously not. But, it, you know, it's not like, oh, I wonder how he'll do with the new quarterback. He's succeeded with Tom Savage under center. Then we got Adam Thielen at $8,105,000. More to run the slot. I'm not saying he's the best slot receiver in the league. I probably could have done a bit more research for a better, maybe cheaper option at slot, but I think this was one of the better options. Juju Smith-Schuster's only getting $1,144,302. He's one of the best wideouts in the league. Uh, One thing I will say, fun fact, you could ask my brother, when he was picked, I called it that he would actually succeed in the league. I did. I predicted that he'd be a uh, he was a sleeper. I said this guy's going to be something special. Did I think he would end did I think, you know, any of this would happen he'd be some like pro bowl receiver already? No. But I thought he'd actually be pretty good. So credit to me for calling that one out. I'm just saying, but no, Juju Smith-Schuster Michael Thomas only getting $1,628,763. I know he's on the holdout right now. I hope he wouldn't hold out for my team too, but if he does, we're pretty good, I think, without him. We'll replace him. Or if he isn't, I don't really know. I didn't really factor that stuff in. Obviously, he should be getting more, just like Juju Smith-Schuster. And the other one on this list, Kenny Galladay, is an amazing fifth receiver. Uh, He's probably the best receiver at the moment in Detroit, which doesn't isn't saying a lot, especially with Golden Tate gone. But he had a really good season last season. $855,706. He is worth, you know, much more than like two, you know, much more than, he's probably worth at least $5 million, $4 million at least. I mean, I don't want to base everything I saw off last season, but at least five, $6 million, I'd say, uh, with the market going up especially. And he's not even getting a million dollars. But no, that receiving corpse is just loaded. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, I feel like someone who can line up in both the slot and any anywhere else you want to put him. Especially, he, I, I'm at a loss for words. I don't know what to say. I'm just trying to find like another slot receiver here, like consistent slot receiver outside of Adam Thielen. And I really can't. Most of these guys are more outside the numbers. Uh, wide receivers, not really slot receivers here. But Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, could potentially play a little slot, but we'll see. I think this is just a loaded receiving corpse. Uh, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins, again, very pricey. Adam Thielen was not cheap either, but Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Thomas, and Kenny Galladay were just absolute steals. Then at tight end, we got three. We got Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and George Kittle's teammate, Levine Toy Lolo. 
Toilola. I'm not really sure how to say it. I think he's lined up at fullback a little, so maybe there was no point of getting James Evelyn in the first place. Plus, I think Levine, Levine, whatever, Toilolo has lined up at fullback before. I do recall that. I don't know why. Uh, but uh, Travis Kelsey came at no cheap price. $10,718,400. I almost put Zach Ertz here because he's around 7 mil, so he's a bit cheaper. But I told myself, as much as I like Zach Ertz, think he's underrated, he's cheaper. I'll still go with Travis Kelsey here. Best tight end in the game. Then we got George Kittle, $719,571. Listen, I don't want to hop on the George Kittle hype train. That sounded really weird, just because George Kittle hype train. But just after that one season, I know he played the season before and was all right. And I think Kittle will be a solid tight end for the future. But I do feel like there's potential he busts this season. But I feel like with Travis Kelsey, you know, you don't really need too good of a uh, second string tight end. And George Kittle is one of, was one of the best tight ends in the league last year. He comes at a very, very cheap price. So even if he does end up busting, you know, not even busting, but really disappointing this season, he's still a very good second option behind Travis Kelsey. And he's a cheap one as well. And then Levine... Zero dollars. Again, you know, stupid. You're probably like, boo, that's stupid. And I'll agree it is. I took advantage of it. But whoever's there, they're probably not going to get many to any snaps. Three tight ends, I'd say, you know, three to four should be on the roster. So I'd say that's an all right amount. Then at guard, we've got Quentin Nelson, Raymond Foster, Jordan Morgan, and Richie Incognito. Quentin Nelson was one of, is already one of the best guards in the league. He's a, he was a rookie last season. He's going into his second season. Already one of the best guards in the league. $5,429,297. He's worth every penny. Raymond Foster, $2,675,000. He's definitely a bit underpaid, in my opinion. He's done a solid job on that Steelers O-line. Then for your backups, you've got Jordan Morgan at $495,000, the most common salary in the NFL. There were 1,000 players that had that like same salary. Maybe not a thousand, but it was up there. Like there the most common salary has to be four hundred ninety five thousand dollars. Don't ask why, but when I was scrolling through, I could not get through four hundred ninety five thousand. Just a ton of players. And I found Jordan Morgan. I'll admit I don't know much about him, but I threw him on there. Then we got Richie Incognito, who five hundred sixty nine thousand one hundred eighteen dollars. He's had a bit of a sketchy past but I still think that's a pretty good value for his money. And then at center, we've got Ryan Kelly and Will Clapp. Uh, just like uh, running back, I think this is one of the positions I'd like to add a bit more depth, at least maybe a third guy on here, but you're going to be a little shorthanded at every position. Ryan Kelly, I wouldn't call him one of the best centers in the league, but he's on the rise for sure, and he comes at a good value. And then Will Clapp, $588,285,000. No stud, but he's a nice little reliable backup, I guess. Then at left tackle, we got David Bacardi, one of the best, if not the best left tackle in the league, some would say. He's done a great job protecting Aaron Rodgers' blind side. We got Julian Davenport and then John Ulrich. Uh, David Bacardi, $14,200,000. You're probably like, whoa, for an offensive lineman. Left tackle is the most important position on the offensive line. 
it's the quarterback's blind side. So if I want to keep Patrick Mahomes healthy, David Bacardi might be the key. Honestly, if they if we put, you know, some scrub at left tackle, then Patrick Mahomes might go down with injury. Our running backs might perform a little worse. Just stuff like that. David Bacardi is as good as it gets, and I'm willing to pay the price for a good left tackle. Julian Davenport, $791,605. I look at him. He's a very good backup. David Bacardi, someone who's very, very good, will probably not take many snaps off. You know, probably won't get hurt either, but you got a very good backup just in case. And then John Ulrich from the Saints, $0. I'm sorry. I had to. Then at right tackle, we got Mike McGlinchey, Lee Adrian Waddle, and Andre Smith. Uh, Mike McGlinchey, $4,168,580. He's been great with the 49ers. I know right tackle, you know, isn't as valuable as left tackle, but he's still done a great job with the 49ers. I think you're getting good value here. I think he's worth more than he's getting. Then you got Lee Adrian Waddle, who used to be on the Patriots. He's now on the Bills. $2 million. I think I'm paying a bit too much uh, for the backup right tackle because, you know, one, it's right tackle. Two, Mike McGlinchey is a young, up-and-coming right tackle. Uh, You know, not saying he's, you know, Iron Man, but, you know, he hasn't suffered too many injuries. So that's a good, reliable backup in Waddle. Maybe I overpaid them a bit there. But luckily, our third stringer, Andre Smith, isn't getting any money. I know, I'm sorry. He's from the Bengals. He ran one of the slowest times at the Combine this season. He hasn't even played an NFL snap, but he gets our third string spot because he's worth $0. Then we go over to defense. So that's all of our offense. Then we go over to defense. At defensive tackle, we have Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, Ronald Ollie, Sylvester Williams. Aaron Donald, no cheap prices, you can guess, $17,108,000. But Aaron Donald may be the best player in football. I couldn't miss up, mess up, miss, mess, whatever. I couldn't miss him. He's the best defensive player in football, arguably the best player, most talented player in football, arguably very, he very well could be. He's worth every penny of $17 million. And I'm the guy who argues you know, the athletes aren't as worth as much money as they're getting. And as much as I say that, if I go with market value, he's worth $17 million, maybe even more. I mean, this guy's just a beast. I mean, is any athlete worth $17 million? That's another argument for another day. But considering market value, he's worth that money. Then it, we got Chris Jones. Absolute steal. He's so underrated on the Chiefs. $1,982,665. This guy was a snub from the Pro Bowl last year. When people thought about the Chiefs' pass rush, they thought uh, D. Ford, uh, you know, players like that. Never, ever once did I hear the name Chris Jones. And that just bothered me. This guy, I think, had 14.5 sacks last season. He didn't even make the Pro Bowl either. The guy's a beast. He comes at incredible value. Please, him and Aaron Donald, that would be, that's a dream team. Then we got Ronald Ollie, $495,000. I heard the name before. He was on some football show, so I decided to put him on there. Why not? And then we got Sylvester Williams at $0.00. Uh, I think he's worth more zero do- than zero dollars, so that's, I'd say that's a good price. <laughs> so uh, you don't really need much depth uh, outside of Aaron Donald and Chris Jones, but just in case. 
Then at defensive end, we got Miles Garrett, Bradley Chubb, Miles Humphrey, and Brian Burns. I love what we have going at defensive end here. Miles Garrett's at $8,294,251. But the thing about Miles Garrett is he's very underrated and he's one of the best up and coming defensive players in the league. Then on the other, on uh, the opposition, we got Bradley Chubb, $6,198,009. Uh, he's one of my, you know, I think he's just. He's one of my favorite rookies from that rookie class. I just thought he was a beast in Denver. I thought he's super underrated. Not super underrated, but pretty underrated. And he had a very, very good season. So I had to put Bradley Chubb on here. Miles Humphrey, don't know much about him, but he's getting $495,000. So I threw him on there. And then Brian Burns is worth $0. So I didn't just choose Brian Burns because he's worth $0, but he's a rookie who I think has some potential to be a solid pass rusher in this league. So all of a sudden now your third string pass rusher behind Miles Garrett and Bradley Chubb is actually like a solid, like would be a solid starter. So I'll take that, especially at $0. (laughs) Then at outside linebacker, we got Khalil Mack, Darius Leonard, and Randy Gregory. I like what we have going out on outside linebacker here. We are a bit thin, but Khalil Mack, 11900 dollars $11, one of, if not the best outside linebacker in the league. Then we got Darius Leonard, one million six hundred one mil one million six hundred forty-seven thousand two hundred twenty-eight dollars. That's a steal. I mean, Darius Leonard had a great season, was racking up a lot of tackles in Indianapolis. That's great value. He's a great player. Then we got Randy Gregory, $155,000. Listen, I know Gregory has a bit of a past, and you know he's a bit of a punk, uh, a bit of a knucklehead, whatever you want to call him, but he's a good player on the football field, and you only have to pay him $155,000. He cut, That's basically $0. He's one of the lowest-paid players in the NFL. One of the lowest-paid player, players in the NFL. I think he had, like, six sacks last season. So, again, a punk, an absolute punk off the football field. But he's got the skill, you know, that that's worth it, and I didn't really factor that stuff in too much, so he makes the cut. Then inside linebacker, we got Bobby Wagner, Blake Martinez, John Bostick, and Ryan Shazier. The low-risk, high-reward guy there. I'll explain in a minute. Bobby Wagner, again, no cheap price. $14 million. 14 mil. All these numbers. The, the, we're, we're almost there, guys. All this number reading is just, just really getting to my head. $14,037,500 for Bobby Wagner. Again, no cheap price, but I think he's the best inside linebacker in football, even better than Luke Keekley. I do believe the guy just never misses a tackle, never misses a beat. He can be a glue guy to a defense. Please, I'll take him. And then Blake Martinez, one of the more up-and-coming linebackers in the league, $2,120,849. He had a very good rookie season in Green Bay last year. Then we got John Bostick worth $0. That's why I threw him on there. I'm sorry. I hate saying that, but I, I just want I just had to. I couldn't stop myself. Then at Ryan Chazier, we got $473,000. He's off the football field right now. We'll, we never know if he'll be the same, but I think he's getting so underpaid. He's, you know, below that common 495000 marker, and I think he's just a great guy. He's someone who can bring a team together. So if this team has guys like Randy Gregory, he can kind of make up for that. And if he ever does return to the football field and he's even 
70 per 60 percent of what he was he could still be a good backup I mean I, I just feel bad you know putting him on here just because you know he might not ever play again but he's not getting paid really that much at all and I think that's a very low risk high reward guy although I don't really think he'll ever be the same unfortunately then we got safety safety is loaded okay I think there's too much at safety honestly we got Jamal Adams Eddie Jackson Derwin James and Jabril Peppers yeah, yeah, a little too much. Yeah, Jamal Adams worth six million seventy thousand five hundred sixty-six dollars. Then there's Eddie Jackson eight hundred eleven thousand four hundred forty-nine dollars. Derwin James two million eight hundred fifteen thousand six hundred seventy-one dollars. And Jabril Peppers one million four hundred five thousand one hundred eighty-one dollars. That's too much. I would personally probably take like Jabril Peppers off here and either just roll with three safeties or um, go with someone like a million dollars cheaper and then put that million dollars into another position just because you already have enough there. Like you don't need Jabril Peppers on top of that. But since you've got strong safety and free safety, I, you know, I had a, you know, it's not like, yo, it's just one position. You got four guys. You know, for this one position at safety. No, since free safety and strong safety, I had to uh, get get four. But again, I kind of wish I took Jabril Peppers off there and maybe either just moved him, you know, for another, you know, move for like another running back instead, or just went to someone cheaper and put that money somewhere else. But we're winning the Super Bowl anyway. Then at cornerback, we've got Stephon Gilmore, Jalen Ramsey, Dominique Rogers, Cromarty, and Tredavious White. Uh, Stephon Gilmore's worth $9,170,833. Jalen Ramsey's at $7,492,865. Dominique Rogers Cromartie's getting $690,000. And Tredavious White is getting $2,752,121. Stephon Gilmore and Jalen Ramsey are two of the best cornerbacks in the league. Dominique Rogers Cromartie is definitely uh, past his prime but he's still like a good, reliable backup quarterback on a pretty cheap deal. He could be a nice mentor for a guy like Tredavious White, who is still pretty young, one of the up-and-coming cornerbacks, along with Jalen Ramsey. So if he's your third cornerback for the future, I'll definitely take that, even at almost $3 million. Then we go over to special teams, what everyone's been waiting for. At kicker, we got Will Lutz. Uh, $1,900,000. Punter, we got Lack Edwards at $738,951. And at long snapper, we got Joe Cardona at $955,000. Not much explaining to you there. So, the total team salary, in case you were wondering, was $200,568,559. We spent $88,333,636 uh, $88, Hundred dollars on offense. We sent ninety six million fifty two thousand eight one hundred eighty eight dollars at def on defense and special teams. We spent three million five hundred ninety three thousand nine hundred fifty one dollars. We spent two hundred thousand three hundred ninety five thousand two hundred million three hundred ninety five thousand nine hundred ninety six. Dollars of our two hundred thousand five hundred sixty eight. $200,568,559 team salary. Like our, uh, God, I have a headache. And a total cap space remaining. We only had 
$563 remaining. So, I mean, that's barely enough for, like, Randy Gregory, who's on one of the cheapest deals in the NFL. So it shows that those $0 players, if they're actually making money, we got to make some adjustments. But I would have. The team probably would have been just a little worse. Maybe even better. Who knows? But if I really, really, really researched for, like, 10 hours, I probably could have made the best possible chemistry, like, everything. But I did, I did, this didn't take me a few hours. So hopefully you guys enjoyed. I know, you know, the whole zero dollar thing is really stupid, but I do want to throw in there, what's this team's biggest weakness? Because I want to know. I think some of the bigger weaknesses is our tight end blocking is horrible. I mean, our offensive line is already going to be pretty good anyway. So, but our tight end blocking, it's just, that's, it's pretty bad. Uh, you know, the three running back thing is a bit scary. I wouldn't really call it a weakness. Maybe our depth at linebacker, uh, inside linebacker definitely has to scare you. John Bostick and Ryan Chase here. So stuff like that, I'd say, are weaknesses. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. I know I want to get more on a consistent schedule because, again, I don't want to, like, leave you guys. Like, I'm not here just, like, I'm getting bored of the podcasting. I'll do, like, you know, three or four a week. You know, I usually do, like, six a week. Like, I'd say, you know, daily, you know, I'd say if you do six episodes a week, that's daily, okay? Because I wasn't like, oh, I'll skip Sundays. It would just be one random day of the week. I'd say that's pretty much a daily podcast. Lately, we have not been a daily podcast like I'm supposed to be. So I want to get back on that schedule. Today was a fun episode. Uh, you know, I, that's just what summer summer is, you know, all about having fun, busy schedule. So hopefully we can get on a bit more of a consistent schedule. I can't guarantee six episodes in, you know, in a week. You know, so far, you know, throughout the rest of the summer, maybe for a while, but I, you know, I hope I can guarantee at least more of a consistent schedule, maybe four or five episodes a week. But still, we're gonna, you know, consider myself a daily podcast. I'm not gonna exactly be every single day, but you know, expect an episode every day, every two days. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Again, call, go call in on the Anchor mobile app, go follow my Instagram at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase those spaces to uh, get podcast uh, updates whenever I post a podcast because my schedule is very inconsistent. Again, that's at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase no spaces. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I hope to see you guys next time.